Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tecovis.com, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and don't go gently, y'all. Chris, what's going on? Oh, good, good, good. How are you, Tom? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I had so many people um, contact me and ask me to do a bridge fishing episode on How To Tuesday so that I thought you would be the perfect person to call. been following you since we met at LunkerCon, and uh, you you catch them, man. You're catching good, yeah, that was, really good quality that was fish off the bridges. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a fun event. It was a pleasure meeting you there. And uh, I always enjoy talking about the bridge fishing game down there. I've been doing it for a long, long time. Yeah, well, let's talk about kind of bridge fishing 101. I mean, I see, you know, I go running across the bridge and you see all manner of of anglers from somebody that looks like they'd be lucky to catch anything with some dried up bait that looks just, you know, been sitting out in the sun for for, for six hours to some people that really look like they have it dialed in. So why don't you kind of, uh, walk us through someone that was going to go to the Keys and how they would pick a bridge and kind of what what the kind of 101 looks like. Uh, basically, you want to pick a bridge that has some decent current flow. You know, if, there, if there's good moving water, it's going to carry out the scent of your bait or your chum further. You know, you basically want that. Some of the bridges don't have nearly as much current flow. So you want something that has a decent amount of moving water. Um, you got the bigger bridges up further north around Channel 2, Channel 5, Long Key. Those are excellent places to go. And there's always pretty reliable current that flows through there. And you also want to look for good structure. You want to look for any kind of coral heads or if there's a lot of seagrass, that, uh, that's also a good indication because usually shrimp and bait fish will hide in the seagrass. And, you know, that in turn brings in bigger predators. So it's kind of what you want to look for. Anytime I walk out on the bridge, I always scan the bottom, look at it. If uh, if it's low tide, look around, see what kind of structures around, and you kind of want to set up around there, pretty much. And so, is that is that kind of what you would suggest with somebody that goes down there for the first time uh, to kind of walk the bridges um, before they just start fishing and find something? Make sure you got good current. Make sure you've got some good seagrass. Just all the things that you were just talking about there. Is that? I mean, do you? Like if you were going to a place for the first time, would you just walk it before you even got all your stuff out of the car and check it out? Yeah, I mean, you can bring your stuff out. Uh, 
but yeah, I kind of do that. I'll walk out, just kind of scout out the bridge, kind of get an idea of uh, what's going on, see what the tide's doing. And uh, that's usually the first thing I do. I look at, see which way the tide's going. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, but yeah, you just want to look for any kind of bottom structure. Sometimes if I'm on a bridge and it's low tide or getting to low tide, sometimes you can see a piece of structure that you may not see during high tide. So you just want to really kind of look at the bottom and, and kind of get an idea of what's going on. Because if, if there's a, if all of a sudden you see like a little crevice or crack, there might be a grouper in there or, or a nice mutton snapper or something like that. So you always want to look around gotcha. and scout it out. Okay. And so when you get set up, uh, let's talk about kind of bridge fish and tackle and what you generally take out there or what you would suggest some people would take out. So basically I bring a pretty good arsenal of bottom rods, basically all conventional reel, uh, conventional reels on eight to nine foot, uh, bottom rods. You know, some of my stuff is custom, you know, custom rods, but you can pick up any, uh, off the shelf rod at a tackle shop, something, uh, something like an eight foot crowder, uh, will do pretty good. Uh, something with some backbone, because if you hook a big fish, like a grouper or something, you gotta, you gotta winch them away from the bridge pilings. That's key. You gotta have, uh, the right tackle. It's not really finesse fishing. It's, you gotta win the battle hundred percent of the time. So basically I bring about four or five conventional reels on nice stout bottom fishing rods and then i'll bring a lighter spinning rod with braid usually 30 pound braid that's what i usually uh will mangrove fish with you know with a live shrimp on a jig head and then sometimes i'll bring a heavier spinning rod for targeting tarpon or if they're if you're really lucky and there's a big permit or cobia cruising by in the channel you can pitch a jig or anything at it so you just got to be ready for any situation Nice. And then let's talk about bait and kind of getting prepared and, and how you, uh, what you'd suggest for someone. So me, I prefer fishing like a big bait, a big chunk of mullet, uh, a goggle eye plug, a big mullet strip, a whole thread fit and herring, something like that. I like targeting the big fish. You know, I'm going to get fewer bites, but it's going to weed out some of the smaller fish. You're going to get some bigger uh, snappers, muttons, uh, mangroves, uh, especially in the overnight hours when I go down there and uh, I'm fishing big baits underneath the bridge during the early morning uh, darkness. Those big baits can produce some pretty big snappers that are cruising through. Uh, You can get some groupers on them. And then I'll always have a live well full of live shrimp, anywhere from eight to 10 dozen live shrimp. And I'll fish those uh, on each different pilings, uh, just targeting some mangrove snappers and uh, and uh, muttons as well. Yeah, and then it sounds like you know you've got I mean, some of those bridges are really big. You've already outlined kind of a, a pretty good amount of tackle. You've got eight to ten dozen live shrimp. You're carrying four or five rods. How are you kind of getting all this stuff out there? So I've got one of those big aluminum uh, bridge fishing carts that I picked up at Bass Pro a couple years ago with the big heavy duty rubber tires. And it's got like, I want to say it's got like seven or eight rod holders welded onto it. So I put all my rods in there. I could put my big cooler, my live wall, my chair, which is basically what I sleep on during uh, the overnight hours when I'm out there camping out. Um, I'll bring up my drop net to bring up a, 
a, a big snapper, or a tarpon, a kubera, or something like that, a grouper. Um, I bring a, a lantern. I bring a down bucket. I bring a cast net. I mean, I go all out. I bring a lot of equipment. So, uh, so you got to have that, with man. my foul gotta... weather in case some squalls come through. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you got to have. Um, I've seen some guys have a pretty slick rig with a bicycle. Pulling, pulling all their stuff out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's pretty slick. Cause I mean, a lot of those bridges are, are really, really long, you know, and, and you're going to get out there, but you got to have some way of carrying all this stuff uh, out there with you. And it seems like it's a cart. There's some pretty slick carts. It sounds like you've got rigged up. You got yours rigged up just the way you want it. I've seen some other pretty slick ones as well. Um, oh yeah. And let's talk about the drop net. A little bit because I, I think that a lot of people that are are fishing the bridges maybe they're fishing bridges where they can be closer to the edge of a bridge and then you go down to the keys or 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 on a long pier or whatever and you don't really have the option of walking that fish to shore um you're kind of out in the middle of that bridge so you you kind of need to use a drop net i would imagine talk about um how you pick one and how how that is used Most tackle shops sell a standard drop net, which is pretty much what I did. I bought mine at a, a mom and pop a store I go over here in Broward, um, but it's pretty much required. I mean, if especially if you're out in the middle of like say Channel Two or in the middle of Long Key, which is basically like a like a three mile long bridge. Um, when my buddy and I go out there, it's like you're not going to walk a, a fish or whatever all the way down. If you get a big mutton, a permit, or something like that. I mean, you got to have it. It's, it's required pretty much. So it makes your life a lot easier. Um, it's good to have it there. Uh, it's most tackle shops sell them for around $30 a piece. That's uh, the general starting price for them. So uh, it's just a good investment to have. And, uh, I actually sometimes double it as a, as a crab trap as well. Like I'll use, I'll stuff it up with bait and, uh, napper fish and I'll, put some bait in there, let it sit in the current. And, uh, sometimes I get lobsters. Sometimes I get stone crabs and just let it soak for half hour, 45 minutes while nothing else is going on. So I kind of do many, many different things out there, but nice. it's good to have one. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a good idea. That's uh that would be a nice bonus to get a couple of lobsters in your, in your drop net. Oh yeah. Um, all right. That's cool. And then as far as, as the bridge fishing goes and especially for the keys, are there some resources? I would imagine that there's some online resources where you could get some additional information, or or maybe people go to uh, to share information. Do you have anything like that? There, um, there's some forums on like uh, Florida Sportsman and Florida Sport Fishing has some different forums. You can go on, ask your questions, um, get some answers. Uh, there's also a lot of uh, Facebook pages, uh, especially dedicated to Florida Keys fishing. Uh, there's one called Florida Keys fishing and another one uh, called Florida Keys bridge fishing, which is kind of caters more to the land based bridge fishermen. But uh, social media is kind of a, a big thing now. So uh, a lot of people do that. They go on there and they post their questions, pictures, reports. Um, it's, it's a pretty helpful tool. And there's actually a lot of folks on there. Uh, that are willing to help you out. There's also some guys, uh, some YouTubers that post videos mm -hmm. of how they fish the bridges, and uh, there's some there's some pretty good ones out there, and they're uh, they're a wealth of knowledge for sure. 
Yeah, every little bit helps, especially when you're first getting started. And if you can kind of ask those questions to somebody and find somebody that's willing to help you out, that's uh, that that'll go a long way. Um, especially if you haven't fished down there that much. And there are a ton of bridges. Yeah. I think there are 42 bridges in the Florida Keys. Yes. Um, so you have, you know, and, and just like you said earlier, you have some that are three miles long. You have a seven-mile bridge. You can't fish all of that. But um, one of the, the longest right. bridge in the Keys is seven miles. There are some that are, I mean, long key bridge, you can go all the way across it. It's three miles long. So some of these, this is the big leagues as far as bridge fishing goes, I would imagine. And uh, there's a lot of them. So there's a lot of bridges to choose from. There's some that are really, really good. Some that are not so good. And some that are really good secrets, you know, like, like you don't want anybody necessarily yeah. seeing you there. Um, what about yeah. some of the best fish that you've caught uh, off the bridge? I look at your Instagram, by the way, he goes by Pescador Cubano. And uh, it's a great Instagram yes. page. You should check that out. Um, but you're catching uh, you're catching a lot of uh, mutton snappers, catching a lot of really good fish, Kubera uh, snappers. Um, what's what's one of your favorite fish or one of the most challenging fish that you've been able to catch from a bridge? Um, I've seen many different kinds uh, that either I've caught or seen other people catch, but it's hard to beat a big mutton coming up. I mean, usually the ones I get are taking my bait sometime in the early morning hours. Um, and especially right at dawn, I always like to have a, a bunch of baits on the bottom soaking right as the sun's just starting to creep up. Cause, um, that's when some of my biggest buttons have, uh, taken the bait. Unfortunately, my biggest one, which was probably about a 12 pound mutton, uh, which I hooked on one of my bridges right around sunrise was taken by a shark. As I was bringing it up, it's it was so heartbreaking. But he left me a head, and the head it's uh, the head and a little bit of meat behind it was 16 inches long. I mean, it was like it was a dinosaur of a mutton. But uh, big kuberas, I've caught a few of them down there. Those things hit like a freight train, and I mean, you gotta lock that drag down and keep them away from the pilings at all costs. I mean, that's that's the only way you're gonna win. But I've caught some. Uh, pushing 24, 25 inches. I've seen some pushing 30 inches. I mean, there's some big ones down there on those piling. Uh, as long as you get good current flow and uh, they're swimming around, uh, they'll be there. Some big mangroves too, especially right after the storms. You know, we just had the tropical storm blow through. So you bet I'm going to be heading down there in the next few days. Yeah. Fish them, so. And when you have a storm, like, like let's just say a hurricane or tropical storm or some kind of significant weather event, how long uh, of a, of a delay do you like to go immediately after? Uh, or do you like to let the water just start to clear? What, what's the, the, the sweet spot there? Uh, usually give it about a day, kind of let the water and everything kind of settle out. Uh, one prime example I can give you, um, two years ago when Hurricane Michael skirted past the Keys on the way up to the Panhandle, um, I went down to the Keys like two days later and it was like just starting to settle out. Uh, I went to one of my go-to bridges and limited out on mangroves. Every single one of them was just a hair shy of 25 inches and the, the hurricane just kind of stirred up the bay a little bit. It came close enough to change the barometric pressure, but at the same time, um, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't too destructive of an event down there in the Keys. It was a panhandle uh, affair, but 
it came close enough. It changed the pressure, stirred up everything a little bit. The mangroves were snapping. And honestly, I left them snapping. You know, I had limited out and they were still, I mean, 20 plus inches were I was releasing 17, 18 inch fish because I was catching them pushing 23, 24, 25 inches. So nice. Nice. And yeah, all that, so and, and really a lot of, of that's due to that, that rough weather. I mean, just like you say, the barometric pressure change and, and uh, pushing things around and, and it's just a big change. And that often offers a, uh, a great opportunity for fishing. I always say that, you know, hurricanes don't, I mean, people always ask, Oh, you had that big hurricane. What, how, how did it mess up the fish? Did it mess up the fish? And I'm like, no, Never messes up the no. fishing. It messes up the man-made stuff, but the, it always makes the fishing a little bit better, at least if you wait a couple of days. Yeah, you wait a couple of days, let the situation kind of settle down. And then for some reason in particular, after that storm, uh, my buddy and I went down the very next weekend, and we ended up limiting out on mangrove snappers Saturday and Sunday. They weren't quite as big as the the weekend prior when I was down there catching them up to 25 inches, but we were catching them between 17 and 20 inches. And then I got a bonus, uh, 25 inch black grouper right off the, right off the bridge itself. So nice. that was a, I came home with 10 big rovers and a 25 inch black. So that was a really, really good back to back good weekends down there. So nice. It goes to show you, they'll kind of stick around for a while after the barometric pressure change. Yeah. And do you do much, uh, do you ever do much snook fishing around the bridges? I know that that's a, that's a big thing too. A lot of people are really into that. Uh, what's your experience with the snook? I got to admit, I still have yet to figure it out down there. I've caught a couple of them, but um, some guys like throwing, like me, I have a lot more experience snook fishing the bridges up in like Stewart, uh, Jupiter, and West Palm Beach area. Uh, those places are loaded, and I throw, you know, flare hawk jigs, big swim baits. Uh, as far as the keys is concerned, it's usually for me like a, a bycatch kind of thing. Like they'll come by and eat a big chunk bait on the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my one of my best experiences snook fishing down there was um, it was like three in the morning, right on a tide change, and uh, the, the tide just switched out. Going, it was a little bridge down in Sugarloaf Key, and I'm the only one out there. And the tide switched, and all of a sudden, I hear tarp and pop and baits on the mm-hmm. surface. So. Uh, managed to get a pilchard free line them, sent them down and not, not even 10 seconds later, it just got thumped and it was a pretty good snook. All right. And, uh, yeah, so they're, they're, they're definitely there. I, I've noticed, um, you know, you just got to have some good current and just try to fish it like any other bridge or inlet, you know, you fish up around the tri-county area pretty much, but hopefully it's some, it's a game I can uh, improve here in, in the next bit. Yeah, well, you seem to be doing really well. Uh, that's Pescador Cubano. If you uh, want to check out his Instagram page, that's a that's a good one. You can see a lot of the the fish that he's catching. And uh, if somebody wanted to reach out and say hi and ask a question or something, would would you? Uh, how would they do that? Um, they can. Uh, yeah, I mean, they can hit me up on Instagram. That's uh, that's a good way to do it. Okay. Um, also, I mean, you know, if, if, if I'm out there on a bridge or whatever, you see me in person, you know, give me a holler or whatever. Um, I'm not afraid to answer any questions. Right on, you know, man. Well, that's awesome. And I really appreciate all the information on this one. Um, so get out there after this storm and uh, I'll look, I'll be watching your page, see what you catch. 
Yeah, hopefully it's good. I'm looking forward to getting back down there. Right on. All right, that's it for How To Tuesday. That's Bridge Fishing 101. Uh, We'll see you next week with another awesome guest and some good take-home information. All right, thanks, Chris. See ya. You got it. Thank you, Tom.